0: Welcome to the Council Podcast. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I'm passionate about all things in-house and I'm so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. My guest today is Emma Lilly. Emma is the sole legal counsel for UK and Ireland at SD Works. And Emma and I actually connected online and haven't spoken in person before. She is the most incredible blogger and Instagram content creator known as In House Potter. And it was truly my pleasure to have her on the pod to connect in real life and to ask her the questions I've always wanted to ask. She was such a delight and went out of her way to find time on her day off to connect with me later in my day and earlier in hers. Enjoy this episode with Emma Lilly. This episode of Council is brought to you by Mark Star. Markster provides dynamic trademark services to modern in-house legal teams. In-house legal teams are easily able to assess and streamline their trademark portfolio to reduce costs. Markster enables you to reduce costs through data-driven efficiencies and portfolio optimization. Find out more at markstar.com.au or reach out to Kate and the Markster team. Their contact details are in the show notes. I would also like to thank In Council for supporting this episode. InCouncil provides people and tech solutions for in-house legal teams. They provide you access to a high-caliber panel of sole practitioners, which does include a lot of former in-house lawyers, who can help you with ad hoc matters or ongoing support. They also specialise in helping GCs select, set up and integrate the best tools and technologies, Go to incouncil.com.au to find out more. P.S. If you aren't already subscribed to in Council Weekly, you are missing out. I always look forward to it landing in my inbox. It is a weekly email with bite-sized insights for in-house counsel and creative legal minds. You can find the link to sign up in the show notes. Emma, good morning. Welcome all the way from the UK. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi, Mal, good evening to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be able to connect with you from the other side of the globe.
0: Absolutely. This is a long time coming. I am an incredible fan of your content online and circle your days as I'm on there creating and doing my own thing and and checking in and seeing what Emma's up to. And it it just, it feels like I'm connected with a kindred spirit and it's just so lovely to meet and, and thank you for spending the time. I'm going to jump straight into my first question. If you had a limitless credit card, but you could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why?
1: I'm going to have to try and be quite clever with this Mel, but I have a few competing priorities at the minute. So obviously we like our nice accessories and we like to have a little bit of luxury in our life, but also I'm in the middle of a house renovation. So it's, you know, do you go for the home store? Do you go for the, obviously the nice shopping experience? but I've tried to think of one that covers both and I'd probably go for John Lewis because I don't know if you have those in Australia.
0: No, we don't.
1: Yes. So John Lewis is like a a department store. There's a few of them, um, but not all of them are so hot on the homeware either. So John Lewis, you can get like your, your nice clothes and your accessories and you can get your perfumes, candles, but then also they have furniture and and the nice homeware. So I'm going to be clever and opt for a limitless credit card at a department store like John Lewis.
0: Perfect. You can have it all. I love that for you. (laughs) Fabulous answer. And I've learned something as well. It kind of, to me, sounds like a mixture of Bunnings and maybe David Jones, but that (laughs) remains to be seen. I need to come over. I need to travel the world again and I'll go and check it out for myself.
1: You'd be incredibly welcome here.
0: Oh, thank you. Gosh, fingers crossed. I do have a trip planned later in the year. So fingers crossed.
1: Let's switch to
0: the legal side of life. I'd love to hear your origin story. I know a few bits and pieces and and I just would would love to hear it from you. What was your first legal gig and how did you find your way in-house?
1: It's an interesting question. I mean, I know we don't have all day and I could (laughs) explain this all day, but I I haven't had the traditional routes as a lot of your guests haven't either. Like speaking from the in-house point of view, in the UK, you'd usually be expected to apply for a training contract at the second year of your degree. So that's when you know, or you're at least on the path to becoming a lawyer. I decided not to do that. I circumvented it because I wasn't confident that first I wanted to be. Be a lawyer and second that I'd thrive in that environment I just didn't want to go down the the firm kind of route um, and put myself into that category. So we'll start with how I found my way in-house and it's it was by chance, Mel, if I'm honest. I didn't know in-house existed until later on. And as soon as I found out that it did, by chance of working in an office with a company that had in-house lawyers, I decided to pursue that because I thought that was more me and this was kind of my home in law. I felt like I would have been more welcome in-house. It was you know the business side and the relationships that you could build and working with those that aren't necessarily trained in the law, but have their own expertise. So I decided to pursue that, and my first in-house legal gig, as a result of that, well, first legal gig, full stop, um, was a paralegal role at a city that's about, say, half an hour drive from me. And I opted to go for paralegal in-house because I, I understood from my research just how beneficial that would be for the route that I wanted to take. It was a business that sold fuel cards, so fuel cards to other businesses that had fleet and vehicles on the road. I know fuel's a hot topic right now, but um, yeah. It ha- I- I'm glad that I'm not working there now, to be honest, (laughs) Um, but it was mainly B2B, um, business to business, work on contracts and a lot of interesting things around title and commercial, but then also it operated in Europe as well. So that was my introduction to a little bit of international law and I really enjoyed it. And that consequently turned into awarding me the training that I needed to qualify in the UK. Now most from a UK perspective would say it was a step backwards to opt for a paralegal role straight away. But I mean, it's really set me up for my career and it's been great.
0: Fantastic. You know, I did not realise that the training contract started while you were still kind of studying and only into the second year. That's actually quite significant and, and so early to be making such a decision. I mean, I had no idea. For us, we finish, we have our law degree, and then we go to to try and get our equivalent of a training contract with a big firm, which is a graduate position, and you spend a year there trialing and rotating through different practice groups. You do your practical legal training, which is that final step to become a solicitor. But you don't have to start really gearing up for that until the last year, and, and maybe you try to get a clerkship or uh, you know kind of like an internship throughout but to make such a decision so early in in the legal degree is really challenging i I feel like i'm just surprised to to hear that that's how it is
1: and it's difficult Mal, because like you say it that Second year in, I mean, you don't start it until you've finished your degree, but that's when you're expected to apply. And they're typically two years ahead, at least, because you'd then finish your final year and then do a year of the postgraduate course that you require. This is under the traditional route that the routes of qualification is now being altered in the UK. There's another way of doing it.
0: It's a big, big thing I've noticed. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you're right. It's so it's so early, and you also have conditions set upon you. Then, so the firm might decide what modules you study, what grade you need to get, and it's a lot of pressure from that early point.
0: Wow, well, I can yeah, I can see why some might opt out from that pressure. But uh, needless to say, you you found your way, and I know there's been twists and turns since that first paralegal role. But I'd love to know what a day in your legal life looks like now, if there is a typical day. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it seems to jump from the the first legal gig to now, it's you often think I don't know if you get this mal, but it's like how how did I get here? How did it all, all unfold and how did I get here to do in, dealing with the days that I deal with now? But I'm currently sole legal counsel for the UK and Ireland but within a global business or a business that has a global reach. So it's a interesting role, I really enjoy it and I chose it very consciously for the different elements that it has. So the sole legal counsel side means that I'm the only point of contact for those two areas, those two countries. And it also means that I have support from a wider international legal team because of how we sit in the world and because of how we operate. So I have like the happy medium and I really enjoy that, especially at my level, I'm four years qualified. I mean, I've always in-house, I think you've probably found this as well, you feel like you're not necessarily in line with the expected, experience level it's always you know you've got more responsibility from the start and I wanted to keep that up so the sole legal counsel element allows me to grow even further I mean I can make decisions that you wouldn't expect one to be able to make at this level or you know to give advice and deal with matters that wouldn't necessarily be in the traditional sense available to me but then the support and the things that I can bounce off and learn from from the wider team who have incredible experience are brilliant so in terms of the standard day I will deal with my queries from the uk and ireland in terms of priority and i usually prioritize by risk if i'm honest i've learned throughout my career that it's not necessarily the number or the figure in front of it that it might be a low figure but the risk might be high Mm -hmm. alternatively obviously if it's a high figure and it's important to the business there's usually a big risk there as well but i'll prioritize by risk but then also like to check in with the team on things that they're working on and anything cross-border that might be interesting for us to learn from each other on and then And of course, meeting dependent, whether you have a lot of time to be in your inbox or not, or you're just hopping from action to action and dealing with things that way. But it is very dynamic and I do like the the range of support that I have from from different people in the team and in different departments also. So typical day, it's hard to say, but it will generally include elements of those things.
0: Amazing. It sounds like there's that perfect balance of access to, to other lawyers and access to support, but autonomy to put your own stamp, your own mark on your practice and, and how the legal department works with those Two countries that you that you support, so I, I really love that for you, and it's something quite unique. To be honest, I don't know if I've I've heard many experience like this. So I think, yeah, I I just think that's fantastic to note. I'd like to, I guess, switch a little bit and look at things that. We often hear about in-house that you might actually hear and go, wait a minute, that doesn't stack up. That's a myth. Where did where did you get that from? You know, there's just these f- fantastic ideas that other professionals in, in our space might have about what we do and, and how we do it. I'd love to ask you what what one myth about working in-house is that you would like to debunk.
1: I would also love to know your main one, Mel, but I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead with mine. I think there's there's so many. The main one for me has got to be that you have to work in private practice or in a law firm for X amount of years before you can be in-house. And the reason why it's so important to me is it's because it nearly you know, had a whole huge effect on my career decisions. If I would have taken that advice, I wouldn't be where I am now. And thankfully I've been able to create a career that works for me and my life and values and I have purpose there. But if I would have listened to the countless times that I'd either read that or I'd been told it, or it was like, oh, you're training in-house, are you sure that's right? Shouldn't you go in a firm first? I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't have made those decisions. So that really, irritates me and to be honest it's one of the reasons that that I started my blog which I'm sure we'll get on to but I think it's just such old-fashioned archaic advice that we need to move away from. And the reason why it's still hanging around is because those that are providing it are those that have been qualified 20, 30 years. Now I'll always I'll always respect those people for the experience they have, but to give advice on what the legal career looks like in the modern day, I don't think is always listed and we need to make sure. And, and for me as well, I've learned a lesson from that. It's to make sure that I'm always in touch with what's going on. And if I'm not, then don't give advice to others because it can really affect the way that their life pans out you know
0: absolutely and that's a huge hot topic at the moment and and one that i i could not agree with you more because you can't tell me that something's not possible when I can point to countless examples of people that are thriving that have had a different career path to the typical five to eight years post-admission experience at X number of, you know, (laughs) only number of of, a handful of firms and and this very narrow worldview, which is how the Australian model was until quite recently. And and when I went in-house, I did have three years of experience. And at that point uh, in a firm, it was very, very taboo it was the stigma that like mel oh my god she's going in house at three you know oh well you know she can always come back you can always come back then and that is true of course but people were shocked to a point. and they were the people that were shocked were the ones that had a vested interest in me staying where I was, doing what I was doing. So you have to take that with a grain of salt, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. I do think it's a myth because I know countless examples and I've interviewed plenty of people on this podcast that have done it a different way. And as in-house teams are growing, which we know there's data on that. for n- numerous reasons, it, it makes economical sense for a business to bring their resource in-house. But for whatever reason, as teams are growing, I'm finding, at least in Australia, but I'm sure it's your experience, that there is more capacity to take on junior members of the profession and to train and to be that supervisory role that is required to get that training and that thorough introduction to practice, because it is a responsibility, but um, one that I think a lot of a lot of in-house teams are really up for the challenge and I don't see why not. So I couldn't agree with you more. And if I reverse the question, the myth that I I would like to debunk, and thank you for asking because I haven't had a chance to do that, I don't think. I probably get um, a bee in my bonnet around the perception that in-house lawyers don't work as hard as private practice lawyers. And I think that it's incorrect for a number of reasons. I I don't have a billable timesheet to prove the hours of input in a day, but I can tell you that every single one of those hours is very effective, very valuable, and is directly impacting a business and decisions. And I'm not fluffing about with business development. I'm not fluffing about with maybe writing a blog or an article or trying to win business. I'm dedicated 100% of my time to what would be considered a billable unit of you know, valuable client work. And for for myself and for you working as part of a bigger team, a global company, my hours are varied and wild and can start early and end late and be all manner of things because I have to support a global business. So I think I, I work harder than ever before. And I don't think that that perception is uh, accurate whatsoever. I think it's just one of those myths maybe that people might throw out there as a way of trying to diminish what we do because it's a growing trend. And I don't know, people are wedded to an identity of practice that they've known and they like, and they don't want to feel that maybe others are looking at different career paths and, and wanting them. I don't know. There's, it's, it's a shift. It's a fascinating thing that I've observed, but that gets thrown out from time to time. And maybe I'm the unique experience, but I, I work (laughs) quite hard, quite consistently and everything that I do would be billable. So yeah, that's, that's my, I'm going to get off the soapbox, but thank you for asking.
1: (laughs) That's okay. I completely agree with you, by the way. I stand with you on that.
0: Fabulous. One other thing that we are totally aligned on, I think, is our love of creating content for modern communication tools for social media. And this is how we connected. I found your Instagram page, your profile, and this was a number of years ago now. And I was just completely impressed with the quality of the um like the actual art and the content that you create and your skills there are just phenomenal and i have to say that it's beautiful and it's curated and the way that you design your feed and the way that you you put your content together is you've just got a real eye for it it's a real skill and it's Fantastic. I'm so inspired by how you do it. I would love to ask you about the genesis of your Instagram and your blog and your online presence. As I came to know you as In House Potter, where does the name come from? And how did you foray into this online creation, influencing weird space that we've found ourselves in?
1: It is a very weird space, isn't it, Melon? Thank you for your kind words about that. I did start off on Instagram and I was on a holiday with family once and the idea behind my Instagram had formed years ago when I was studying, but I'd never thought it was going to be what it was today I never you know imagined running a blog or anything like that but I'd always had this frustration in me and I needed an outlet to correct some of these things and debunk some of these myths and get my journey out there so others others could learn from it so I was on holiday and I read something I read an email I think um, and for the 50th time it was something that was inaccurate about in-house so there I was I was like right, I'm going to I'm gonna start to end this. Um, it's going to take me a long time, but I'm just going to share how I feel about this information because nobody else was about in-house and I just wanted to let others know that you can, you know, follow your own path in law and be successful and do all of those things. But it was a huge hill to climb because a lot of the information was coming through through reputable sources. Now, these are partly innocent reputable sources they're reposting things that people have written for them or you know provided by universities and places that you would believe advice from so I thought you know how much am I going to have an impact being a little fish in that big world but I thought I've got to try so I started my Instagram when I was on a holiday and created about I think it was a week's worth of posts and then when I got back started to release them it wasn't the, the beautiful content that you're talking about right now but we learn don't we as we go along and then the in-house Potter name kind of linked to that because where I'm from I'm from an quite an underdeveloped city I'd say in the UK we are about four hours drive from London in the northern direction outside of Manchester outside of Birmingham I'm from Stoke-on-Trent and it's not a very built-up city in terms of from a corporate view there's one law firm One law firm here that would be recognizable in terms of name to others. There's like other high street ones, of course. There's no, you know, huge corporate lined streets of tall buildings and skyscrapers. We don't have that. So you'd think somebody from Stoke on Trent wouldn't be able to have, you know, the successful career in law. I didn't go to a, a Russell Group University, which means one of those that are highly regarded that you presumed to have to go to, to be in law. And Potter is, this is a bit of a history, English history, Mal. But potter relates to the pottery industry that Stoke-on-Trent was famous for. And, you know, it's quite industrial and people used to work in the pot banks and create those sorts of things that would be shipped around the country and wider. So if you're from Stoke, you're known as being a potter or you're from the potteries. So I wanted that link to my roots. So I hope it makes kind of sense to those that are from a wider location or don't don't live here and don't know that. But I wanted that link to my roots as well to show that I'm in-house. I'm from Stoke-on-Trent. I still live here. I didn't move to London. I turned down jobs there and you can still make it. So it's it's the tying into you can be who you are. You can make your own decisions. You don't have to do what most other people expect you to do. But also in the meantime, I'm going to share what an actual in-house lawyer is like in the modern world. So that's how it was born.
0: Oh, amazing I love that story and and just the genesis of you of that name that's really special. I was so unoriginal <laughs> I just went with literally what I do <laughs> in-house lawyer <laughs> that is all <laughs>
1: yeah no it's good though it's to the point it's exactly what we need <laughs> <laughs> but there's
0: certainly that that element of the origin and who you are and I think that's that's so wonderful And it comes through in how you show up and the way that you present to the world you are authentic you are yourself. And I know that that is a challenge sometimes when we put ourselves out there. You know, <laughs> there can be highs and lows and some days you're like, why am I spending all this energy creating content for people? I don't even know. I like I want to catch up with my partner and my parents and I'm, you know, I'm deep down in a blog or whatever it might be. And, and we keep pushing because there's that underlying purpose and that why that's deeper for us. And I know that there's been many wonderful things that have happened for you since that time when you're on holidays and inspiration struck and I, I just follow along and see speaking engagements and all kinds of interesting in-person and online um, engagements that you're asked to do i can also see the truly beautiful community that you've built of people who are incredibly generous and kind and supportive and and just i don't know it just feels like a very safe and happy place that you've cultivated online i wonder what might be maybe the coolest thing or the most interesting Interesting pinch me moment thing that's happened to you as a result of putting yourself out there and, and putting in all of this effort
1: mm, I will give you one Mal but I think the answer to the question what's the coolest thing that's happened to me I think is is deeper than that so I'll answer it into two ways if that's okay with you so the kind of pinch me moment was when I was recently nominated for an award for the best use of social media in 2022 fabulous
0: congratulations thank you it's very true very well deserved
1: thank you very much it's by legal cheek yeah which is an, an online online based law, community hub, however you want to say that. But yeah, they're quite they're quite big in this space. So to be nominated for that and to be in the short list was a bit crazy for me because as you know there's a lot of accounts out there that are doing fantastic things in this space. And to be within it and also to be in-house, I think is the is the pinch me moment because we always think in house comes last. It's always the second or third thing people think of in their career and it's never the first thing on people's minds. And that's what I kind of wanted to change and say it is a valid career choice in the first instance you know you can decide you want to be in-house from the get-go you don't have to earn your stripes somewhere else first so yeah that was the kind of the most recent pinch me like cool moment just to for me to be amongst others in that area is just crazy but what wider from this wider deep perspective the coolest thing has got to be working in line with my purpose and I feel so much more fulfilled and I'm always honest with this that law is especially from a commercial point of view it's very hard to be passionate about especially for me because we don't really I mean there's not much helping an individual on the ground unless you're working in charities or directly with an individual and you're really helping them through you know a family issue it it was quite difficult for me to just be so surrounded and be led by money and commercial elements. And it's so corporate. I wanted another way to give back. And I've always done a lot of charity work because I felt like I needed to balance out things that I do in life. Yeah. And by having my blog and helping others, I mean, I help others every day, I think, to to do things or realize things or achieve. So that really provides me with the fulfillment in law. And it keeps me plodding on sometimes you know when the job gets hard and it's the day-to-day and it's the you know your head's in, in in outlook or in a word document and you're just typing and it's like what impact am I really having the coolest thing has got to be that I realize now that I can make an impact in my own way through being a lawyer and that it, it just overcomes everything else it's incredible for me
0: Mm, I totally get it. There are times when I'm thinking I'm just pushing paper around creating a shareholder value and a cog in a capitalist wheel <laughs> and it gets very deep very quickly and I'm like oh god how did this happen it's like inception and if you stop your brain can you know like but I need to pay my bills and it becomes this internal this internal kind of thing of I don't know an existential crisis that maybe hits us when we hit our late 20s the early 30s I don't know but I totally get where you're coming from and to be able to have an impact connect with people provide hope and an alternative career path that's actually not that alternative anymore is absolutely fulfilling. And I, I love that that lights you up and, and it you, you can see because it comes through in, in what you do. So that's amazing. I, I want to switch back to, I guess, the day-to-day and your current role. And I've noticed that you have been traveling this week. So what epic timing for my next question. I want to get practical with you and ask you some tips for traveling internationally for work. And I ask selfishly because I'm going to be doing some of this later in the year. And I really haven't, I'm out of practice. I can't tell you the last time that I did this. So how do you get the most out of your time when you're on the ground with a different team, a local team? And like, how do you stay in, in routine and try and keep some normalcy to your travel and your work balance? Or do you or not? Is it, you know, is it a struggle? It's a big question, but I haven't really had this conversation with, with anyone on the pod. So I thought we will go there.
1: Oh yeah, let's do it. I have been traveling this week and it was a very short trip this time so I went back to Belgium which is where the headquarters of my business is based. I've been there a few times now since I started the role and it's quite easy because it's only, you know, an hour, an hour and a half away on the plane. But then of course you've got all of the airport time, the driving time, and it is very easy to quickly feel that pressure around, oh, I'm not really working and traveling. And of course, as lawyers, we can't always have our screens open for the whole world to see in an airport. Or, you know, when, when you're there, it's it's difficult to continue to do that deep, meaningful legal work that you expect of yourself. and a normal day if you're in a private office. So I think the first tip is just to let that pressure go. You can't do what you can't do. You, You can't just start to work those hours and let the whole plane see you was something confidential confidential that you're working on so it's to be very careful and mindful of the pressure that you feel when you're traveling because you do lose a lot of email time and I don't want to say work time because it is it's still work time you know we're being paid to travel and be away from home and people kind of think oh you know because I'm so grateful to be able to see a different country or to travel with work that it's not work time but it is it's really you wouldn't be traveling if it wasn't for work so even though it's fantastic to be able to do these things don't stress yourself out about them and try and burn out and that links to the routine Mal, because it's difficult to stay in routine to be honest even so from the UK to Belgium it's only one hour's difference say if I was to travel further or to come and see you of course it's morning for me now and it's evening for you so it's difficult to stay in routine and you aren't eating the meals that you'd usually eat in your day-to-day you're not logging on at the same time again you can't be so focused within your inbox because you want to spend time with the team so it's just to go with it really don't feel the stress about the fact that it's not going to be a standard day when you're traveling because quite often it won't be and then with the Time with the local team, you really do want to make the most of that. But then it's also that my UK team and and any Irish issues kind of need to respect that I am in Belgium. And even though we are a global company and we're all working together, I've obviously travelled for a reason. So likely that's either a, a workshop that's an all day thing or it's like a three hour meeting and you just got to communicate with your teams back on the ground where you're working and say, you know, I'm I'm in a meeting for three hours or you know, if there's anything urgent, then you know how to get in touch with me. But please just kind of give me that space that I need to be in the moment with the team. Cause like I say, there's a reason you're there. You need to bond and get those relationships. You don't want to just be constantly out of the room and you have know, traveled all of that way and then not spend time with them. So it's managing those priorities. And again, not taking that pressure on that you might be, quote unquote, losing work time. It's just that you'll be able to catch up with it when you're back, but it's a hard balance to reach and it, I think it's just practice. You know, you, I don't know about you Mel, but when I was younger I used to see people that were traveling for work in the airport and I'd be like, I want to be like those people. <laughs> but there is an element to it where it's deep down you're you're fighting these competing priorities. But yeah, and if you can't like, choose your own flight times which you should be able to, I guess, then do what is best for you. Sometimes for me that is staying an extra evening just so I can slow down a bit and not be so rushed or sometimes times like this week it was much better for me to come back sooner so I've got things on at home so it's also making the right choices for you and don't feel so at the beck and call of the company in terms of that because you want to be in the best mindset you don't want to be tired you want to be your best self when you're out there so make sure that the decisions are right for you in terms of travel as well I know that's a lot of things I've just put into that answer but I don't know if those help <laughs>
0: They do. Thank you. That's really thoughtful and considered. And I'm taking them back in. I'm like, that's right. And what I'm hearing is just reassessing your priorities and being kind to yourself because you have to accept that it's not a normal day and that's okay. The the piece of communication for the usual team, the usual people you support is that's such a great practical tip and such an easy thing to do with an out of office or a, a general email at the start of the week. Hey, just so you know, I'm I'm going to be away and less contactable. But needless to say, everything's on track and you know, this matter and this matter will get the attention this this week. Anything new can wait till I'm back. <laughs> the other thing that occurred to me as you were talking, and this should have occurred to me before, but I was obviously being very self-centered. When I say travel internationally, it is always this long haul, crazy, big adventure <laughs> because I live uh, so far away from everybody else in the world. But for you, of course, if you're going to this continent it's like an hour and a half in the plane okay I completely blanked so it's it's a very it's you still have all that time of travel but it's it's just a different experience compared to 24 hours if I wanted to get to you at the moment via Dubai <laughs> Oh, so yeah, just just that. Um, I often forget Australia is just so far removed from everyone else, even though we're we're talking so openly and freely, like we're just next door. But no, <laughs> internationally is a different thing. Oh my gosh, I feel like such a klutz. I've just it's just occurred to me the difference in our realities. <laughs> oh my god! But I. Think, I think your tips apply no matter how long haul or short haul, so <laughs> thank you. Do you have any more travel coming up that's uh, on the agenda or you're, you're kind of staying put for a while?
1: So for work, I think sometime in the summer, I'll be somewhere in Europe again, and if you want to know about the, the fun travel outside of work, I am, going, I am going to Jamaica in a few weeks.
0: Oh, amazing. How long is that flight out of out of curiosity?
1: It's about 10 hours, I think. 10 hours. Yes, for the flight. And then of course, you've got the airport time. But um, I'm looking forward to that break from work as well.
0: That'll be amazing. Yes. Overdue. We've all been at home for so long <laughs> doing the same thing. <laughs> so that's that's amazing. Emma, my last question for you, and, and our, our time has just flown on by. My gosh, we're here. I would love to ask you after everything that you've, you've seen and everything that you've experienced as an in-house lawyer and working for different companies, different teams, and, and, and speaking with people as you do, connecting with, with others online. What qualities do you think make a great in-house lawyer?
1: I'm going to go for those that people often refer to as soft skills but I don't like that saying because they are equally, if not more important than some of the others that might usually get the top spot. So of course, that the technical and, and the legal knowledges are given, but you are taught that and through experience, you'll pick that up. I think the skills that are the most effective and that make you a great in-house lawyer are those that are often forgotten about and left till last. So I'm going to give them a bit more airtime now, Mel. So <laughs> I'm talking about, so empathy, mm-hmm. which is how to understand others perspectives and what they are thinking about and what's important for them and their agendas and the reason why that is key for in-house is because like we've mentioned you're working with a lot of people that aren't lawyers. They have got their own expertise and their own fields of which they're fantastic with, but they've also got their own ideas of what a great completed task looks like or how they want to achieve things or what's important for them and what, what are they mostly concerned about. So in order to give the best advice, you've got to understand that and be empathetic to what is on their minds and what they're worried about and how you can help as a legal advisor. I think that's really, really important. And it also helps you to build those, those long-term connections because, you know, if you're just giving the advice and it's not so tailored to not only the situation, but the individual, then that relationship won't be as strong as if you were to say, I understand you, I know what you're concerned about. This is how I can help this. Maybe this is how I can't help, but I recognize that that might be an issue you'd want to speak to somebody else about, but in terms of the legal and the the business elements, then this is what I can do for you and us, and this is what we can achieve together. So that's one of the two that I wanted to mention. And the second one links closely to that, but it's communication. And it's, again, if you understand someone, you then need to know how to deliver that message to that audience or to that individual. Like I say, not in-house i think we picked this up pretty quickly but nobody wants reams and reams of legal advice because it is just boring It's, it's boring to write it's boring to read it's boring to try and understand it just it's a waste of time people forget about it but it goes a little bit further than that it's not only being concise and to the point and getting the message across it's also in what format Some people prefer it in different ways. And if you look at someone who's in marketing, they're so creative, they might benefit from you, you know, getting on a whiteboard on a meeting and mapping something out and doing like, this is how the contractual structure looks like, for example, and you can write the entities, whatever, and you can draw it out. Or if there's, you know, a director that doesn't have much time and is going to be picking up emails on you know, on on her phone when she's walking down the street, then it needs to be easily readable in that mobile format. Or, you know, if if it's a last minute task that is clearly there's not much time to digest from, it's better by quick email, one sentence even, or even by chat on whichever format you use. And those are so different. And um, you might be delivering the same thing and the same answer to the same question, but to different people, you've got to learn how to communicate in the way that's best for those. So I think those, that both of those relate to relationships um, and how you can build them further. But I would say it's knowing how to get that advice across and in what way specifically to the individual that you're trying to bring on board.
0: Beautifully said. I could not agree more. And it's funny how we call them soft skills when they're actually really hard. <laughs> I always find that funny. <laughs> They are hard skills. It's that, it's that EQ. And I think you've perfectly articulated what it looks like to be a really great in-house lawyer, to understand your audience, to have that empathy and then know how to communicate to them and then pivot and change for each version of your audience, each person that's a, an internal client or a colleague. It's as easy and as hard as that. Emma, thank you so much for your time. I, I'm going to let you get on with your Friday. You've got the day off ahead of you and I'm, I'm so grateful that I've had some of your precious time this morning to run through these questions and, and just have a chat in real life, not through some DM or uh, sending an emoji like button at some point across the interwebs. Yeah, you've just brought so much value as you always do and I'm so grateful that we've connected.
1: Oh, me too, Mal. And I just want to say that I too really appreciate what you do. I know that we're in, again, different parts of the globe, but I feel like we're in this together and I resonate with so much of your content and I've learned a lot from you too. So I'm just super, super grateful to be featured on the pod as well. So thank you for your time this evening and yeah, let's let's catch up again soon.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I'll come to you. I'll come long haul. I'm, I'm gonna do I do it, I swear. <laughs> I'll come be a potter, an Aussie potter. How's that? Yeah. You're in, you're in. (laughs) Love it. Thanks, Emma. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review for this show. Tell me what you'd love to hear more of and where you're listening from. To learn more about in-house practice, follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram.